Welcome to Glass Half Full Moon, where if we didn't have bingo on Thursdays, Full Moon Features would go out of business. I am your host, Gabe, and joining me is my co-host, Casey. And Casey, I'm I'm a, I'm a little bit surprised that we were managed to watch the uh, managed to watch Oblivion tonight. You know the uh, the um, very critically acclaimed uh, Tom Cruise feature back from 2013. I'm real glad we got to. I'm a little bit surprised it came up on our list, but it it was an enjoyable watch. Wait, wait you 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 watched you watched the 2013 Oblivion? Well, uh, there. Hmm. Well, don't worry. I I figured that, that there might have been some confusion. I also played uh, Elder Scrolls Oblivion just to be sure in case I missed misremembered what what we were covering. Again, I'm a little bit surprised that came up on on the dock. Oh, oh, honey, honey, no, that's not what we're talking about tonight. Oh. Tonight's movie is 1994's Oblivion from Full Moon. You know, the the space western. Since when did we start watching Full Moon movies? Oh, honey, we've been doing that this whole time. We're on episode 27. What? Oh, no. Oh, honey. But no, we watched uh, Oblivion, a space western. I I described this as if Star Trek met Lone Ranger. Yeah, I get that. Funnily enough, I did. Uh, it, have you ever played the game The Outer Worlds? I have not. I've heard very good things about Outer Worlds, but I've not played it. It's not quite. It's not quite a space western, but it has a lot of those same vibes. Uh huh. In which, in, after watching this movie, I was inclined. Man, I want to go play The Outer Worlds, and I did. <laughs> and The Outer Worlds is great. Not as good as this movie. No, wait. The, flip that around. Wait. <laughs> this movie is not, is good, but it's not as good as The Outer Worlds. I wouldn't call this movie good. I mean... It's amusing. It's silly. It's very silly. It feels very made for TV. When it wasn't. This was intended to have a theatrical release and instead was put out to a few film festivals before uh, going to the home video circuit. Yeah. I Now, I will say that this is perhaps one of the more... It it was I won't again I will I will concede that it's perhaps not a good movie but it is entertaining. It's also the longest movie we've watched at almost two hours. This film clocks in at an hour and fifty six minutes, including credits. It's long and it is packed with familiar character actors, some of which actually were in Star it's Trek. It's got yes, it's got some very uh, fun stuff, and I have some fun. Uh, Fun fun facts about that scenario in particular. So I guess that answers if we consider this to be a good movie or not. Um, not good, but fun. It's entertaining. And is definite... I, I don't... This is going to be a weird uh, thing out of context, but I'm glad we didn't go to Romania for once. <laughs> it was a little bit refreshing to not have a film set in Romania. Yeah, I I agree. I agree, but I will say this movie could have spawned a very fun drinking game. Oh. Just just thinking about its context. Like 
drink when a character runs at the side of Mr. Gaunt. Drink whenever uh, Doc Valentine makes a bad Star Trek joke. <laughs> drink when you see a talented character actor wasted in a bit part. Drink when a puppet is on screen. <laughs> drink when there are stop motion scorpions. Puppet or stop motion, yes. Yeah. But I guess we should get in, because this is a long one, folks. This is it's a, a long one, but I feel like I feel like it's not as uh, not as deep as some of the other ones. It's a pretty straightforward flick. Yeah, this movie could have probably been about forty minutes shorter. But we open on the desert, and we see the totally not Millennium Falcon fly by. We also are told that this is a Sam Irvin film, and Sam Irvin is the tumbleweed that passes by. Is that what you decided? Yes. Yes, I've decided that Sam Irvin is the tumbleweed that you see rolling on by when it's when the credits read a Sam Irvin film. It's like why would the why would he not be there when it states his name? Obviously Sam Irvin is the tumbleweed. Fair enough. We also get uh some of our a listing of some of our actors. I think we should bring them up as they appear rather than listing them because some of them have some very striking appearances. Yes, quite so. But we also get we get a weird bug puppet. <laughs> yes, we do get a weird bug puppet. And our first glimpse of our big bad, who has dragon scale cowboy boots. I'm going to say it. It's a look. I like it. It's a look. But you'll see later how weird his look is. Because apparently this is not Earth. But everyone is it's still decked out. It's it's not Earth, but everyone is still decked out in leather and cowboy boots. This could very well. It doesn't really ever want to bog yourself down with the logistics of is this a different? Is this like a colony from Earth? Is this like a, you know, is this a diff, different like alien race that is not human? Doesn't matter. We're not worried about that. That's not what we're here for. Point is. It's Space Cowboys. Deal with it, bucko. <laughs> or buckaroo, as we should say. Deal with it, Huckleberry. <laughs> oh, and we forgot to mention that our our villain, Red Eye, as we come to know, he eats the bug puppet, and then he uses the bug puppet's uh, blood to change the number, the population of the town that he's going in, like the number of the population on the sign, from like 579 to 578. Which raises the question, is that bug a citizen? That's exactly what I thought. I thought, is this bug a citizen? But I then I realized, no, he was being preemptive. Yeah, I, I, I think that's the implication. But I do like to think that the bug is a citizen. <laughs> that bug was our secretary. That bug was the know. mayor. Jeffro. <laughs> That bug was the mayor. Oh, I mean, hey. he he was he was a a different kind of candidate, and so we backed him. He was very hard on lizard men. <laughs> and some hard stances on lizard men. But he's kept quite a few of his political promises. You know, a staunch wake up every day and a hearty good night at the end of every evening. He's been very good for the school system. <laughs> Uh, moving forward, uh, we get some of our act, some of our, uh, iconic actors starting to appear at this point. Yes. 
we get our first familiar face in Carol Striken as Mr. Gaunt, dressed in black and being creepy, as he is so good at doing. Mr. First of all, the name Mr. Gaunt, really on the nose, can we say? Secondly, uh, Carol uh, Strickin, you said? Strickin. Strickin. Carol Strickin is, if you, you know him, even if you don't know him, he is, he was Lurch in the, in the Adams Family movies. He was the tall man or the, like the giant guy from uh, Twin Peaks. And notably, I, the first time I ever really saw him was in the film Gerald's Game, a Stephen King adaptation. He's been in a few Stephen King adaptations because he's also part of um, Rose the Hat's troupe in Doctor Sleep. Right. Yes. He's a very well-known character actor. He's very tall. He's very gaunt, as it were, and he's got this very notable deep, deep voice. I love Carol Striken. Might I? Yeah. Might I say he's a he's just a good actor too. He's a phenomenal actor, and honestly, I think he's my favorite part of this movie. He's like the, um, <laughs> he's like the inverse of, uh, uh, Peter Dinklage, who's like, he's got physicality, he's got a weird, he's got a unique physical appearance, but he's also just a really good actor. Yeah, he, there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum of physically odd, that makes him super recognizable and sometimes typecasted, but genuinely a phenomenal actor. You got Peter Peter Dinklage on one end, you got Carol Stryken on the other. And I would say Matt McGrory before he passed away. And in the middle we have Steve Buscemi. Have you seen those eyes? God damn. <laughs> hey, we love Steve Buscemi. He is, of course, on that spectrum because he's a phenomenal actor. But uh, Mr. Gaunt here, he is the town's undertaker. And he seems to have a, a reputation of always showing up where death is to occur. As he enters the saloon, aptly named Miss Kitties, and those who see him coming just turn tail and run. Yes, so that's a question I had for you. Is it So, it is stated that whenever he shows up, someone's probably going to die. Mm-hmm. There are points in which it's it's treated as just, you know, like a superstition or like, you know, like, oh, that's old Mr. Gone. You always know he's going to when someone's going to die when he shows up. But other times it's almost treated as though he's a curse. Like that's literally what's going to happen when he shows up. That's actually explained later on in the film. That is explained later on in the film. But as... Some citizens turn tail and run. One greets Mr. Gaunt with a smile and a friendly face. And this is the saloon's owner, Miss Kitty, who is played by the lovely Julie Newmar. And you probably won't know Julie Newmar unless you're an old fart like I am. Julie Newmar is named Miss Kitty because this is a nod to her most famous role as Catwoman in the 1966 TV series alongside Adam West. Yes, it that was a very... So, first of all, her character, pretty sure she's literally a cat. She acts like a cat. That's not just her name. 
She does have some feline tendencies in her mannerisms, and she does have a penchant of wearing leopard print cheetah print. And they also have a lot of fun with Miss Kitty and with another actor later later down the line in taking the actor's kind of uh, kind of history and making meta jokes about it. Yeah, but they're discussing um, while this is going on. And they're, they're just kind of talking like, oh, you know, people would be more friendly to you, Mr. Gond, if people didn't always die when you were around. And he's like, no, I simply show uh, people die after I've arrived. There's something along those lines. Yeah. And while this is going on, a video poker game is going on. Yes. And we also get conjoined cowboy twins that <laughs> yes. never appear again. A pair of conjoined cowboy twins, and instead of playing with cards, they're playing on a digital poker game. And I remember playing with this exact model of digital poker game as a kid. Never knew how it worked. But I remember this exact model of digital poker game. And of course, the screen's been edited digitally to show the cards that they want to show. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that Gaunt mentions that the sheriff draws the dead man's hand yes um the character who has played the hand of digital poker is the town's marshal marshall stone and i will say shortly after i noted the digital poker game we found that production design was done by our favorite person in the world by milo milo by milo yes i noted it I have no, I hate this man. I don't know who he is, but I, and he has never done a single thing to me, but I hate that he is present. Why do you, why do you hate Milo so much? Because fucker, use your last name. You're not that special. (laughs) I know exactly two things about Milo. He does production design and does not include his last name when he is credited in films. (laughs) And that is enough for me to not like him. By, by by, that logic, do you also not like Cher? Do you not like Madonna? We'll come back to this argument. <laughs> because, okay. oh, and this is a weird thing that never comes up again. As, as Red Eye is kind of walking through the town, he's like, he finds a guy in a stockade and he frees him. And like is, you know, getting ready to have a showdown with the sheriff. But for some reason, all the electronics as he passes by spontaneously break i i think i figured out why that is i think i figured out why that is because as he's preparing for his showdown with the marshal he buries a glowing stone under like a foot of clay i like i labeled this as a radioactive kazoo because that's what it looked like to me (laughs) that might that that does seem to be on brand yes yeah but he buries this uh glowing stone into the earth and um i'm pretty sure this is this thing is what's causing all the electricity to die as he's going through the town simply because of what happens shortly after this but after yeah okay i can he begins to yeah yeah after he prepares for his standoff red eye comes into Miss Kitty's saloon, Julie Newmar is chewing up the scene, and Red Eye looks like he's the son of live-action Bowser. She's doing her... <laughs> he... 
I love that he's a reptile man. I really love that. He is a reptile they, man. He he's he it, like the fact that he is a reptile man is very good because he he could have easily just been some gruff like uh, outlaw type character, but they made him a lizard man because fuck it. He still looks like the son of live action Bowser. He he does look like uh, have you, he look. Have you ever seen uh, Doctor Who? Yes. There is a race of lizard people that live under the earth. Yeah, that he I know looks exactly like. I know, I know exactly who you're talking about. I am a lizard woman from the dawn of time, and this is my wife. Um, I I still <laughs> I don't I don't see Doctor Who though. I see live action Bowser, just with a little bit more better prosthetics. Did we mention that he also has a an eye patch that is very eccentric? <laughs> he looks like he's doing a half-assed Steven Universe cosplay. <laughs> yeah. That's that's pretty on brand, yeah. <laughs> well, Red Eye has shown up to the saloon to call out Marshall Stone for a standoff. And Marshall He's like, well, I gotta go deal with this here lizard man. Turns on his badge lights and he's on duty now. And his deputy is a cyborg, played by Meg Foster. Mm-hmm. And the cyborg outfit is does not fit the setting at all. It doesn't. She looks like it's, she's from Trancers. It's very Star Trek. It's incredibly Star Trek. Everything else is like hard... Uh, you know, Western themed. She's like walking around in plastic, like armor and like cuff stuff. It it doesn't fit. I don't like her. Yeah, but speaking of uh, outfit choices, as we take to the dueling location, we find that Red Eye has dragon scale undies. Ooh, yeah. It's a he look. Has, I like it. He has dragon scale undies. Um, Red Eye has stopped Marshall Stone atop the radioactive kazoo that he buried. Shoots and the Marshall is dead. The Marshall is dead. Mm. Miss Kitty hisses at Red Eye while one of her saloon girls wears bananas around her waist. <laughs> the background costuming is fantastic in this the- film. The background costuming is super out of place because here we've got a woman wearing bananas around her waist and we see her again later in the film. And then later on, there's a woman who works the saloon just straight up in baby doll attire, like bright pink. Oh my God. Yes. I took a picture of that because I wanted to make sure I wasn't hallucinating. No, uh, straight up hot pink, like bad Halloween costume quality fabric baby doll attire. But the marshal is dead, long live the deputy. And alas, it turns out that what Red Eye has buried is some kind of radioactive mineral that disables electronics. Because as the deputy attempts to try and go after Red Eye, she's completely disabled by what Red Eye had buried within the ground. And we also yeah. find that Red Eye has a space western Xena in his gang. 
The get ga- so the gang. The gang. Let's talk about the gang. Oh, the gang. We've got we've got Red Eye. We've got Lash, I believe, is her L- name. Yes. Lash our Space Western Xena. She uh we have um Bork. Who is I would say akin to Sloth from the Goonies. Just not as charming. He's got a big dumb dumb face. He does indeed have, have a big dumb face. Spanner, who is a guy who is just a guy. Spanner. Realistically, Spanner. he's just a guy. Spanner. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have I don't remember his name, but it's um uh Bendito Wormhole. with a knife. Wormhole is his name. Right. Wormhole, who is attempting to play, portray a Spanish bandito, and Red Eye does indeed just straight up tell him, knock off with the accent, and he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so it... this this lead up to the shoot-off and the marshal's death was the first 15 minutes of the movie. Holy heck. Right. And the whole time, the, the uh, credits are going, so... Like, they made, they didn't need to, like, you know, do the uh, white credits over black background that we normally get. Which is refreshing that we get story beat and introduction to characters in this while the credits are rolling. It is refreshing to see that. But So the marshal is dead. Long live the deputy. The town is up for grabs. And we cut... To a gentleman looking for radiation. I I legitimately do not remember what they called the mineral. I they name it once. I'm pretty sure they, they call they it, name dra- it if, draconium. I think I don't remember. Um, they named it's it a few really times, but it was not important to the plot. Yeah, they named it a few times, but I just literally could not understand what they were saying. Because, unfortunately, this movie did not have closed captions. Yeah, it's a shame. But our this is our actual hero, and he is named Zack Stone. This is the Marshal's estranged son, who is out digging for this radioactive mineral. Can I just say, Zack Stone, excellent name for a cowboy. Excellent name for a cowboy, you are not wrong. And while he's out mineral mining he saves an obvious native american sidekick who's been tied down to be to be attacked by stop motion space scorpions stop motion scorpions okay so first of all we the uh the the space native as i've come to call him named (laughs) buteo is this red face should i be offended um i looked into it the actor who plays him is jimmy skaggs who actually played our villain Gallagher in the first Puppet Master. Um, But I looked into it. I don't think he's of native ancestry. So, yeah, I would say this is Full Moon doing red face. But at the same time, he's... They're technically not on Earth. And, like... They just call... But... They still call him a native. Yeah, and that's weird. They still call him a native. And... I, I would still consider this red face because it's an obvious Native American stereotype. It is they're, the... they're doing the, the a lot of the cowboy tropes, which is the um 
one of them is obviously the Native American sidekick. This is this is which, the Tonto. Yes, that's what they're going for. I understand why they did it. I understand, like, uh, Buteo, his actor, does a pretty good job with the character, I'm going to be honest. Uh, he's a good actor. He's an okay actor. The The dialogue for Buteo is clunky, but it's, I guess it's kind of meant to be that way because he intentionally speaks in that slow, intentional, clunky way that Hollywood likes to portray Native Americans as speaking. I think that we can chalk this up to, this isn't the worst thing Full Moon has done. But it's still not great. But moving away from a white man in red face, we're introduced to a Asian man going very much against his typecast as we are introduced to Doc Valentine, dentist, barber, inventor, robotics engineer. And George Takei. <laughs> it's George Takei! It's very against George Takei, though, because the way he speaks in this movie, you do not get George Takei's typical uh, deep, smooth manner of speaking. He's very gruff. He's very uh, frantic. Gravelly, yeah. He's very frantic and gravelly. So the I I th- I love this because it's very clear George Takei is taking is having the time of his life, right? Oh yeah, he ad libbed so much of this movie. It said, I looked up and the trivia straight up says that all references um, in George Takei's dialogue to Star Trek was ad-libbed by George Takei. Yeah. And the very, his first line is a reference to uh, Star Trek where he's drinking a bottle of Jim Beam and he looks at it and says, Jim, beam me up. <laughs> you know, I like that. It's very stupid. But Doc Valentine is basically the robotics engineer in Oblivion, and he's fussing over the Marshal's badge. And we only get a small bit of this as we are then taken to Red Eye's lair with his men, and this is where we are introduced to them. He sends them off to do shit so he can be sexy with Lash. Thankfully, very PG sexy. Yeah, we don't get tits in this movie. We do not get tits in this movie. But Bork and Spanner stall just a moment, just a peek. Yeah, that's a bit weird. <laughs> I thought it was I'm funny. I'm glad we didn't get... Oh, it's it's funny. It's also weird. I don't... Why would they want to watch them have sex? Why would they... Like, I understand the lady, but... The lizard man? Mm-hmm. See if he's... See how many dicks he's got? I mean, he is a lizard man. Okay. <laughs> so. Moving on from that. Moving on from that, Buteo and, uh, and Zach are sitting by a fire. And we find out Buteo's family was killed and a pre- precious family heirloom was taken from him. The, the, and also the line that does come back is Buteo, uh, um... Zach asks him, hey, why were you tied up? What happened? Buteo says, "I'm," or something along the lines of, I don't want to talk about it. And then Zach says, well, then I will just keep tell- asking you until you do. Which, kind of a dick move. But does come but, back know, later on, yeah. We find that all that Buteo has left is a tiny bit of glowing kazoo, which he gives to Zach. Yeah, as a bit of a, hey, you didn't let me die. Yes. 
And there, there is a good scene where Zach is like, "No, I don't. I'm not going to take that." And Butero's like, "Do not insult me. Don't insult my. Just take it, dude. Come on." <laughs> well, we also find that Zach is a pacifist, and apparently Butero is a mystic, as he foretells Gaunt's arrival in order to tell Zach of his father's death in a very flowery fashion. He looks in a cup of water, right? He, he looks in a cup of water and basically says, like. Uh, reflections are a sort of magic. Which makes sense, considering what was taken from him was a sort of uh, native ancestral mirror. Right. Yeah. I will say, as weird and silly as this movie is, it actually does tie a lot of things together. There aren't a lot of loose ends. Yeah. it's got, there, there are numerous things in this... This movie leaves me feeling satisfied coming back coming coming back or like at, at the at the end i feel satisfied yeah nothing is left loose or open everything's pretty tied together um but gaunt arrives to tell zach that hey your father's dead um we get a, a cut to george takei trying to hold up the general store for some more booze in a very raspy, non-decay voice. And this and he's is... just doing it because he's sad. Yeah. We get a lot of these little jump cuts to scenes that really don't need to be there. Yeah. So, what... And we also meet the, the, the female shopkeeper at this point. Maddie. Whom is named... Maddie. Maddie? Maddie. Maddie. Yes. Maddie. 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 Okay. Wait, one more time? Maddie. Got it. Uh, and no, uh, he's like, I just, I wanted to protect the sheriff or something along those lines and like all these kinds of things. And Maddie's like, no, come on, sit down. We'll just relax. And she takes his gun, you know, everything's, oh, and we get a, we get the bit of George Takei, like, oh, I wouldn't have shot you anyways. This gun isn't even loaded. And then immediately firing it into the floor. Yeah. And, oh, and this is, uh, we now move on to the bar slash treasury, I think. How would you describe this place? Uh, it's very much similar to back in the old gold mining days of the West, where those who went to the West to find their fortune would take their gold findings to a designated area to have it weighed and then get cash for it. Um, so I'd, I'd call it a conversion bar because they do also sure. sell booze you know and what? food. Yeah, I'll accept that. But anyways, they go in, they're going to get uh, the little bit of crystal that Buteo gave to Zach. They're going to trade it in. And we get a little scene that is a complete non sequitur of a guy complaining that his watch did math wrong. Basically saying that the uh, the conversion clerk is ripping him off. And the conversion clerk happens to be Isaac Hayes. Yes. Um, I, I would recognize him, or I would say that most people would recognize him as Chef from South Park. The but original voice actor. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, 
Isaac Hayes is not using his standard voice. He is not. You have two character actors in this film who are most well known for their voice who aren't using their standard voice. It's very Which interesting. Just leads me, it leads me to believe that these guys really just were there to have, just to not, just to have fun, right? It's definitely interesting. It's like, yes, you've got name recognition. But also you have these character actors here who are very much cast against their type. Because you have George Decay as a blathering drunk mechanic. You have Isaac Hayes as a bit of a soft-spoken um, teller. And well, and then there's, you know, uh, uh, Carol. But, you know, he, he, does, he, he, he does his job the best out of all of them, so... He was very much cast a type in this, but he's also the best part of this movie. And I would say one of the main characters, as he does have a lot of longevity. As George yeah. Decay and Isaac Hayes, you see them for a little bit, maybe ten minutes at most throughout this movie. Carol Strykin's in there through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. That's about but, right. But while Zach is dealing with uh, our teller, who's named Buster... Um, Red-Eyes Man Wormhole is over in the corner trying to recruit people for his gang with promises of learning the secret handshake and getting a button. I want one of those buttons. I How do, do we get kind one of those buttons. Um, the button does say better red than dead, which I found very funny. Yeah, you know, I also feel like if anyone saw that, they would immediately assume I was a Republican. Or a communist. But we know one's true and one's not. It's weird that those two political parties both share a common color. I know, right? Anyway, this is where... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, this is where we get a pretty fun fight scene. Yes, as, as Wormhole is attempting to scrounge up some recruits, they end up... I don't even remember why, but they end up in a... Uh, in a fist fight amidst a lot of the bar patrons. And there are some very funny bits. And I think the best part is Wormhole ends up in the fray and a legless gent in a black hood just crawls over and just starts biting at Wormhole's leg and making the dumbest sounds. There's a pair of dwarves and a legless man and like it <laughs> It's just, it's wild. It's... Also, for a moment, I thought Zack was beating up Buteo, but it's just another generic white guy. Yeah, and it's... We get a good sense of these characters as well, where Zack is very much... He does not want to fight. He is no. telling everyone that... He's telling everyone that, stop fighting, that we don't need to do this, we can move on, and he's getting the shit beaten out of him. And doesn't really... F- fight anyone he just kind of makes them fight each other like you know yeah. stepping out of the way having two people run into each other and it ends with him being held up by wormhole having a knife to his throat and he puts a gun to wormhole's chest and wormhole's like i know you won't shoot me and he's like no but i will fire my gun and if you happen to be in front of it that's your own problem <laughs> basically he says I don't want to shoot you, but you just so happen to be in the be exactly where my gun's about to go off, which is a very good line. 
It is a very good line. And it's also a pretty good... It's just a good character moment, I feel. It, it's good to. It's good at uh, kind of fleshing out who he is. Yeah. But, of course, Gaunt comes in, scares everyone off, and just proves that he's the best part of this movie. Goes to the bar, and Buster's scared of him, too. Gaunt asks for a beer, a specific kind, and... Buster's like, oh, I, I don't got any of that. He's like, you don't have any of that beer? Then you don't have any beer at all. Sure. Okay, I guess. And that's where that scene ends. I guess that was a scene. Oh, and we also get... The next scene is Doc is being kind of... His hangover is being nursed by uh, Maddie. Maddie says she put his gun underneath the counter at her store just you know sleep it off buddy we'll we'll get you good get some coffee but then into the store comes red eye and his goons yes and this is also where we find out that red eye and lash are apparently in an open relationship i mean good for them (laughs) good for them for being open as uh whatever works in their relationship they're irredeemable criminals but you know good for them Good for them for being open, because Red Eye basically propositions to Maddie saying, hey, join us, I'm letting you in on the ground floor, and Lash is like, yeah, come on, join the party, there's plenty of Red Eye to go around, and even she shows some interest in Maddie, I was like, okay, and when Maddie refuses, they just start to ransack her shop. And meanwhile, Doc Valentine wakes up, he's just like, huh? and then just goes right back to sleeping off his drink. Sure, that's fine. And eventually it ends when Maddie pulls a gun on all of them. And they just, they kind of leave, but not before Lash nearly, like, fillets her gun. It's very suggestive and off-putting. It is suggestive. It is very suggestive, but I will say this is probably the most PG movie that we've had from Full Moon. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I would say. There's like not a, too aside much from blood, a f- there's nothing like that. Um, There's just one particular thing that's a little bit on the gory Except side. Except for the ending. We'll get to the ending. That one has, that one's a bit rough. Yeah. Aside from that and like one other thing, this movie's pretty PG. Um... We then return to yeah, it's Oblivion. PG thirteen. We return to Oblivion, and Zach and Buteo are going through the marshal's office, finding a hidden lockbox underneath the floor, and the box is empty. The box supposedly held the sheriff's uh, best memories. I believe it. What, what it was referred to. Yeah. And. We also find that the cyborg deputy has been locked up this entire time. She had been locked up in the pokey. They let her out and she's like, fuck you, Zach, you're a bitch. You won't fight. And Buteo's like, no, he's a good guy. The line he literally says is, I know Zach better than anybody alive. And deputy, the deputy's name is Stell Barr. Deputy Barr says, oh yeah, how long you known him? And Buteo's just proudly like, I've known him for two days. This must be a quick read, then. (laughs) 
gosh. <laughs> oh, and then we get a a scene that is you know what you do you want to tell describe this scene? So we get to the marshal's funeral. Everyone's dressed in black. They're all in mourning. And uh B thirty seven. It's oh, Thursday. 068. We always have bingo on Thursday. Yes. Uh, all the townsfolk are playing bingo at the marshal's funeral because it's Thursday. Which, okay, so I assume that the place is effectively a church. I assume that's what they're going for. It's not yeah. a funeral home or anything like that. And so up above them, it is, you know, it's bingo. Thursday's for bingo. But it's also below them is a funeral <laughs> Yeah. So they need to do the funeral over top of them playing bingo. Well, I mean, what better time? All the townsfolk were going to be there anyway. Excuse me? <laughs> and I, I, there's something about Gaunt saying, what? We always play bingo on Thursdays. That is <laughs> exceptionally funny. Oh, gosh. And... Zack stands up to speak about his father, and all the while he's giving his eulogy, bingo numbers are being called out at the most opportune times. Yeah, isn't it like, he, he, I can't remember the exact words, but they are, they are matching up with his, his eulogy as he is reading it. Yes, yes, it's some, towards the end it's something like, uh, everyone wants to be a hero, but it's the hardest thing to... B1. B1. Yes, that was a good one. <laughs> and, of course, Red Eye crashes the funeral. And Yeah, he crashes the funeral. And they're still, they're still calling off bingo numbers. And he's just like, what's going on? Everyone in, the, in there is just like, it's Thursday. He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. At least Red Eye respects tradition and bingo. <laughs> He's just mad he wasn't invited. But yeah, no, the they also they they approach like, "Oh yeah, you're a you're a bitch, boy. You're only gonna <laughs> kill me." And the the deputy tries to kill them, but they short-circuit her with a ring that has the crystal on it. Yeah. And oh, and Buteo recognizes the uh spanner as being the guy that killed his family. Ooh. Bum, bum, bum. So yeah, both of them are stopped from taking vengeance. Red Eye and his gang depart. And might I say, the mechanical worrying whenever Deputy Barr moves is annoying as heck. It's so annoying, especially because it does not match her movements. It doesn't. But apparently she also has a thing for Buteo. Yeah, that was weird. This is a recently widowed I, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. It's mm -hmm. just weird. I don't think we it deserves much more comment than that. Yeah. We then move to the saloon, where Miss Kitty is given exposition, stating that the reason Zack is a pacifist is because he's an empath. And not, not just like an empath in how we would understand as like, oh, they're a person that is very empathic. He literally, if he sees someone getting hurt, he will he literally feels... feel that amount of pain. Yeah. And it... he's, he's, he's psychic. 
it's a very weird story beat because like it doesn't serve a whole lot of purpose aside from being a reason as to why he's a pacifist and as to it would, some of the things that happen later. It would be more, it would feel better if they said he was an empath, like metaphorically, like he doesn't, he he is very empathic and therefore cannot hurt people. But the fact that he literally physically feels people's pain is just weird. Yeah. Well, Buteo has entered the saloon, carrying a box with holes drilled in it, and says it's a beast he's purchased scene. from... It's a beast he's purchased from the exotic pet store up the road called a Mon Ding. And he's a- apparently going to use this to get revenge on Spanner, who killed his family. So the Ma Ding is described as being, it will attack whomever is the most afraid. And, and also... Does they, not like sudden movements. Yes, and so what they what Buteo's like? Yeah, I'm just gonna put this guy here. We're gonna lock hands, and we're gonna see who's the bigger bitch. <laughs> and this whole time, we're hearing growling and like scratching in this box, and it's like a big build up to what this this cre- like creature might look like. And they open it up, and it's just a little frog puppet. It's a weird crab frog thing. I love the frog puppet. The frog puppet is my favorite. I I want the frog puppet so badly. It's a weird crab frog thing. And, of course, Gaunt steps through the saloon. Someone's gonna die. It looks like... It looks like something that Jim Henson made for Fraggle Rock and then threw away. It It does! It actually, yeah, you're right. It does look like something. It's something that was made for Fraggle Rock. It's a reject from Jim, Hems- Jim Henson's Monster Works. Charles Band regular uh, regularly went through Jim Henson's garbage for ideas. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't doubt that. But to be fair, I would also do that. I imagine the trash at the Jim Henson Company is rife with creative ideas. Anyway, and we. We get the we get the little frog but frog boy hopping around doing his thing, and he looks like he's gonna go for Buteo, but then suddenly he jumps and little little froggy with the big teeth just jump and starts nomming right on Spanner's neck. Yeah, uh, doing your we, nom nom. We get blood spurting. The Mondain attacks Spanner, and Buteo's family is avenged. He's got his mirror back, and Deputy Cyborg uses her laser vision to shoot at the precise time to take down Bork. But yes. Bork is not actually taken down, as... But can we please note that Bork does also shoot the frog puppet, and I was very sad. Yeah, Bork shot the Monding, and Buteo is captured outside of the saloon by Lash... Deputy Cyborg is shot from behind by Bork, and Red Eye puts Buteo in the stockades and puts him on trial for murder. And all Red Eye can do trial, is admire the flowery marks. Yes, trial, quote unquote. And all Red Eye can do is admire the way Buteo talks. Yeah. Now this scene also seems to have given this movie the tag on IMDb bare-chested male bondage 
I'm sorry, what? Which I don't I don't know why 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 is that a category on IMDB? Um tagged for bare chested male bondage. I wanna say uh uh number one film tagged with bare chested male bondage, uh the Princess Bride. Yeah. Sure. I wanna okay. say um I wanna say the biggest reason for that tag is uh Sean Connery and Zardoz. Mm. Also, uh noted for bare chested male bondage, Scream Two. Huh. Well as the trial finishes and Red Eye reads his verdict. Buteo is found guilty and sentenced to 40 lashes by lash. And all the while, Zack is watching from Doc Valentine's office nearby as Deputy Cyborg is getting operated on and Zack's just getting it from both sides. Because as an quote-unquote empath, he's watching Buteo getting whipped and feeling that pain. And then hearing Deputy Cyborg getting operated on and feeling that too. So he's just getting it from either side. To the point where he's just like, fuck it, I can't take this anymore. Takes the Marshall, yeah. old Marshall's badge and puts it on and he just goes out shooting. He goes out. He goes shooting. He goes slow motion shooting also. Yeah, we get a slow-mo gunfight as... Zack shoots Wormhole, who spins into Gaunt's arms, and then straight up shoots off Red Eye's arm. Yes, that was awesome. He does straight up shoot off Red Eye's arm. That was absolutely amazing. Red Eye runs away like a little bitch. And Maddie is kidnapped by Lash. Yeah, again, that's weird. But uh, Zack kills a couple of uh, Red Eye's gang members and they're just like yep no fuck it you're the sheriff now you're just killing all of us and well you know Zack ain't too happy about being Marshall but he he ain't too happy about Maddie being taken either he tries to get a posse together he's very ineffective at it (laughs) but here's another very inspiring Here's where we get a little bit as to why Gaunt always shows up where someone's going to die. He does have psychic inclinations. Because he states that Red Eye and his gang are headed to the Badlands because he knows someone is going to die there. He doesn't know the why or the how. He just knows the when and the where. So... It's not so much a curse that follows him. It is it is the facts. Where usually wherever Gaunt shows up, someone's going to die. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. Oh, and we also so we're cutting back to the Badlands. Also, Lash just licks Maddie's face, which is really kind of gross. And Red Eye grows himself a new baby arm. <laughs> he also somehow regrows 
his coat. He don't 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 worry about it. No, 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 no. Like we see him working on regrowing his arm, and it is probably the grossest part of this movie. Um. Mm-hmm. But by the time we get to our final showdown point, his entire arm is just grown back. As Zach Buteo, Deputy Cyborg, and Gaunt have made their way to the Badlands and are, of course, ambushed. We also get a joke here where the sign for the Badlands says, Welcome to the Badlands. It's a good place to visit. <laughs> Which I thought was fun. And meanwhile, while the group is getting ambushed, Gaunt's just over on a nearby rock playing solitaire. I really like that. I love that he it was basically just an impartial observer. Just yeah. there to just, you know, wait for someone to die. Yep. So, Bork ambushes Deputy Cyborg. Um, and... He knocks the gun out of her hand. However, he did not realize she also had a gun in her hand. She gives him the finger guns, literally. <laughs> and then, and then after that, Bork removes the hand from her arm, and we find out she's part puppet because she has the torch <laughs> flamethrower on her arm. She has a flamethrower in her arm, and this still doesn't kill Bork, as. Well, later on we'll find that out, but the Night Scorpions have arrived, waiting to see who is victorious in the fist fight between Red Eye and Zack. Yes. Zack stabs Red Eye and his other good eye using the sheriff's badge. Yes. Blinding him, Red Eye falls off of a cliff into a, a valley full of giant scorpions. And the scorpions literally rip him in half. Yeah. This was awesome. And it is at also this point that we find that Lash has been harassing Buteo. Bork has been chasing Deputy Cyber- uh, Cyborg. And Deputy Cyborg manages to push Buteo out of the way of Lash's whip. To the point where Bork hit gets hit. And Bork's just mad that everyone's keep her keeps hurting him. He's like, "Why everybody keep hurting me? Even you hurt me." And Lash is just like, "Oh shit!" Turns and runs, and Bork chases her. Bork is angry. <laughs> Bork angry. Poor Bork. <laughs> Poor Bork. Um, our movie ends with Buteo and Zack apparently having made a permanent move to Oblivion. And Deputy Cyborg worrying about whether any piece of Red Eye was left to regenerate. And Carol Stryken is like, nah, I'm dead sure. And we are left on a to be continued. And thus ends our silly, silly movie. This didn't, it it didn't need to be a to be continued. This was a solid story that was told. Yeah, but Oblivion 2 was shot at the same time. Yeah, we know Oblivion 2 is coming. So, would you recommend this movie to anyone? Um, it's a bit too long for my liking. Like I said, this could have been a good 20-30 minutes shorter. But, it's entertaining. 
if you want a literal space western with some good visual gags and some funny references, I'd recommend it. Yeah, the, it's certainly there are certainly worse things to watch in the full moon catalog. This, at the very least, has some fun, like costuming, some good acting, some you know, entertaining scenes. Like Carol Stryken. much. Yeah, you could go much worse than this. But uh, a question: How much do you think this movie cost to make? Um, based off of who all is in it, some of the costuming. Uh, stop motion scorpions are expensive. Um, I would say nine fifty. Two point five million dollars. Ugh, I should have gone higher. This is a money laundering scheme. This, I think, this might be the most expensive one we've had so far. Now, next question: Who is Zach teaming up with? I, let's say Zach and Buteo. Who are they teaming up with? Who's who's going? Who 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 are they going in the full moon versus verse? See, I I anticipated the question, but I didn't pit Zack and Buteo against anyone. I pitted Red Eye. Okay. And I pitted Red Eye against Mandroid, a regenerative beast versus an unstoppable machine. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. Now, Especially considering I... Red Eye does have the Draconium. Mm. Mm. So my pick was to have Zack and Buteo team up with Dollman, specifically having them go out and having space adventures. <laughs> but would he still be Dollman? Oh yes, he would be still be he would still be 13 inches tall. He would just have to be teamed up with an, a full-size lawman. Like in a picture him being like the gruff kind of uh, experienced officer. Zach is the, uh, the rookie. Neil Moore, the rookie, Buteo's the straight man, you know. See, at this point, we could pit, we could pair up Dollman with anyone, and it would be good. Yeah, that's fair. But speaking of pint size packing a punch, should we talk about what we're watching next? What we're watching next is, in fact... Puppet Master 5. The final chapter. The first part uh, of a franchise... A lot. I was just about to say, yeah. the first part of a franchise with a false tagline. But, to be fair, after Puppet Master 5, we don't get another one for four years. What, which, when did the final chapter come out for Friday the 13th? Uh... Oh yeah, this is, it, it came out almost a decade. Before a decade before this, yeah. Um, so while I'll say that that might be the final chapter of that segment of Puppet Master, we are not going to be done with Puppet Master. But in the meantime, we wish you all a horrible evening and keep your eye out for Carol Striken. If he shows up, chances are someone's going to die. And you know, just in normal life, especially in Starbucks. Fucking place is dangerous. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Right. Bye.